Chapter 6, Beyond Paratar Brother Harker, may I speak with you? Harold turned to recognise a familiar figure standing near the exit of the railway station in Ballarat. Yes, certainly, replied Harold. I have a message for you from the Victorian Conference. They would like you to be a Bible worker for the conference. The Secretary has requested that you contact him before entering into any business arrangement here in Ballarat. Harold thanked his messenger and immediately called the office of the Victorian Conference, reaching the secretary who confirmed the message that he had received. After a brief conversation, Harold accepted the offer and proceeded to his appointment, explaining his situation and apologising for any inconvenience to the owner of the business. Harold returned to Melbourne, his thoughts racing. Arriving home, he told Anne of his new role. I'm so happy for you, Anne responded. The Lord has called you into evangelism at this time for a purpose. He knows that this is really what you want to do and that your extensive experience in Coldwater evangelism has fitted you for this important work. It means even more responsibility than I carry a state agent and it means moving often, Harold replied. Are you ready for a gypsy life? I will go wherever the Lord calls you to go, Anne assured him. The Victorian Conference issued Harold with a ministerial licentiate, a certificate authorising him to work for the Victorian Conference as a Bible worker. It was dated February 23, 1909. Harold approached his new role with the same cheerful readiness that had characterised his work as a coal porter, combining his new role with his former work as state agent. Soon Harold and Anne moved to Geelong, where their second child, Winifred Eugenie, was born on September 21, 1909. After a few weeks, Harold resigned from his role as state agent, as it was too much to continue both roles. Harold wanted to get back into field work. He went to Foster in South Gippsland in October, while Anne took Laura and Winifred to Dandenong to stay with her parents while Harold searched for a place for them to stay. In November, he worked in nearby Welshpool. Soon he had arranged accommodation in Welshpool for his family and they joined him there. Meanwhile, Harold's sister Leela was back in the field in Murchison in northern Victoria. Harold worked in Welshpool until February 1910 and then worked in Alberton a few miles to the east from Welshpool during March. The book that he was selling was Daniel and Revelation by Uriah Smith. His results were excellent. At the same time, Norman was working in the suburbs of Melbourne. In April, Harold worked in Turidan, a town on the Melbourne to South Gippsland Road, near the Mornington Peninsula. He worked the area from Dandenong, where the family stayed with Anne's parents. Harold shifted the focus of his work to Dandenong in June. By July, he had moved his work to Banner, beyond Turidan, while Anne and the children remained in Dandenong. His regular absences from home were difficult for the family, but these sacrifices were borne cheerfully. In August, Harold worked in Wonthaggy, to the south of Banner, continuing his work in Victoria through October. His sister Florence worked in the Lilydale area in October. The ongoing involvement of his siblings in the Colporter work was a source of encouragement to Harold. It brought them into contact often, and the bonds between them remained strong. 
Late in 1910, Harold received a call from the Tasmanian Conference and the family relocated to Hobart in Tasmania in time for Harold to commence work in the new year. He worked in the area of the Tasman Peninsula to the southeast of Hobart. The book that he saw was Desire of Ages. To the north, Norman worked in Fingal. In March, Harold took 64 pounds worth of orders in just four days. That amount was equivalent to a yearly income for a worker at the time. God was continuing to bless his work with success. Later in 1911, Harold's work shifted to Campania, a few miles north of Hobart. There was hardly a house in sight. After working there for several months, he attended the Tasmanian camp meeting, which convened in Launceston on November 30, continuing until December 11. It was there that he received an invitation that marked another significant milestone on his path toward ordination. Harold was asked to assist Pastor Rogers in a public evangelism effort. The significance of the invitation was belied by the simple announcement in the Australasian record of January 1, 1912, reporting on the Tasmanian camp meeting. Pastor Rogers and Brother Harold Harker will hold a tent mission somewhere along the Hobart line beyond Paratar. The family was on the move again, this time to Rinderston, a railway siding on the main line between Hobart and Launceston, where the mission was to be held. Rinderston was about 45 miles or 70 kilometres from Hobart. The tent was pitched on January 10, 1912, in a beautiful glen sheltered on one side by a garden of hops. The mission opened on Sunday night, January 14, with an attendance of more than 40. There was no town there and only a scattered population. The people came from their secluded homes in the surrounding hills. After two months, the attendance held and five people had made their decision to keep the Sabbath with others in the balance. While the mission proceeded, Pastor Rogers and Harold held meetings every Sunday afternoon in the schoolhouse at Stonor, a village about four miles or seven kilometres north of Rinderston. While the mission was in progress, Anne went to Hobart to give birth to their third child, Stanford Neville Knightley Harker, who was born on March 11, 1912. One of Harold's ancestors was knighted for some conspicuous service to the King of England, and Harold continued the tradition of giving boys in the family the third name of Knightley. When Stanford was born, Harold rode the 45 miles from Rinderston to St Helens Hospital in Hobart on his bicycle to see Anne and his baby son. He put a little seat on the bar of his bicycle and took two-and-a-half-year-old Winifred with him. When he got off the bicycle to walk up hills, he asked Winifred for a special favour, give Daddy a kiss to help him along. On each occasion, Winifred duly gave Harold a kiss and they finally reached Hobart. A nurse at the hospital took Winifred and gave her a drink of milk. A few weeks after Stamford's birth, the world reacted with shock to the news that the Titanic had sunk early in the morning of April 15, while on her maiden voyage from Southampton to New York. The sinking of the unsinkable Titanic was on everyone's lips, and the disaster reminded the mission team of the importance of the work in which they were engaged. In spring, Harold, Anne and the children moved to Franklin on the Huon River 
southwest of Hobart. The family lived in tents. There was an open tin shed opposite the dining tent where Anne cooked. Stanford was crawling by then and needed careful watching. He put most things into his mouth and on one occasion was found licking a snail. Mosquitoes were abundant throughout summer and despite the use of citronella, everyone suffered bites. Early in 1913, Harold was called back to Hobart. The Hobart Church was conducting a tract and periodical campaign and seven people had indicated a desire to connect with the church. Harold's work was to study with these people and others who were contacted by the efforts of the 30 church members and two coal porters who were involved in the campaign. The family moved to Hobart in April, living in furnished rooms for a while. Accommodation was not always up to standard for a family living an itinerant life, and so it proved on this occasion. When the children put their ears to the floor, they heard rats and mice. Anne woke one morning to see a rat sitting on the dressing table watching her and Stanford. She was terrified because a newspaper reported a few weeks earlier that a rat had bitten off a baby's toe in a nearby house. Where possible, between moves, the family went back to the Gadsden home in Keysborough, Victoria, three miles or five kilometres out of Dandenong. It gave the children a sense of belonging that they could not experience with constant moving. They enjoyed the moving, however, and watching Harold and Anne pack and unpack was exciting. Harold was fun to travel with, leading the children to explore the new accommodation and environment. Life was never easy. Harold and Anne usually scrubbed houses throughout before they were livable. Every move cost money, and the family lived with as little furniture as possible, often making do with whatever was at hand. Yet Anne had a gift for making even an old house into a clean, homely place. Anne made most of the children's clothing, and Harold often went colporting instead of taking a holiday to meet family costs such as medical expenses. Although some doctors did not charge ministers, it was a constant struggle to keep out of debt. Missions were generally conducted in tents or in dance halls. If Harold used a hall, it usually had to be swept after the Saturday night dance before it could be used on a Sunday night. When it was cold, Harold left early to ensure that the hall or tent was heated to make it cosy for the evening program. Tent missions always aroused speculation that a circus was in town. Harold door-knocked every house in town and gave personal invitations, and this settled the speculation. Harold invariably had first-night butterflies. Anne had special prayer with the children on the nights of the mission. If there was a local paper and the editor was agreeable, the meetings were reported, so that those who could not attend the meetings could read the reports. Often this resulted in opposition from ministers of other denominations. Harold responded to public criticism with letters to the editor. He cut out the newspaper articles and glued them together in strips. Over the course of a mission, practically all Seventh-day Adventist doctrines and his answers to questions raised were covered. By September 1913, the tract campaign in Hobart had resulted in ten accessions to the Hobart Church, including the original seven who were the reason why Harold had been called to help. Harold went coal portering in September, 
spending 90 hours in the field, taking 64 orders to the total value of 65 pounds, two shillings and sixpence. During 1913, Harold also served on the executive committee of the Victoria Tasmania Conference. From Hobart, the family moved to St Mary's in northeastern Tasmania. Harold and Anne's second son, Eric Gordon Knightley, was born there on February 2, 1914. While at St Mary's, Harold visited the believers in Launceston for the week of prayer meetings. The company of ladies there kept Harold busy visiting interested persons. At one place where Harold held a Bible study, the two ladies present decided to keep the Sabbath despite threatened opposition. Meetings were also held in Bishopbourne, southwest of Launceston. After St Mary's, the family moved to Fingal in May 1914. The First World War was still several months in the future. Harold worked up a tract and periodical round in Fingal, introducing small books and holding Bible readings wherever the opportunity presented. In August, Harold was informed that his brother George had passed away suddenly in Wakatani, New Zealand. George was the harbour master there. He had brought great sadness to Harold, as they had been through so much together and George was only 39 years of age. In September 1914, Harold was one of the Victoria-Tasmania Conference delegates to the Australasian Union Conference. The family moved to Devonport on the north coast, where Laura and Winifred started school. The family shared a lovely old two-storey house with Mrs Appledorf and her son Ronnie, with separate living quarters for both families. The property had huge pine trees that lined the front and side fences and a big front lawn where the girls could play and Stanford could ride his rocking horse. <laughs>